0: Hello and welcome to Socialism, the Marxist podcast from the Socialist Party. What does the Green Greensill scandal reveal about the rotten heart of capitalist politics? And what is the socialist alternative? Corrupt politicians are nothing new, but this latest scandal goes right to the top. Johnson's government is up to its neck in the Green Greensill scandal, an avalanche of sleaze. Thoroughly reclaimed for big business by Keir Starmer, the Labour Party is unable to take the advantage of the latest Tory crisis because of its failure to offer any serious opposition to Johnson's government. It is also not untouched by such merc. Such episodes are not aberration but part and parcel of the rotten capitalist system. So what measures should the workers' movement put forward? This episode of socialism, looks at the rotten heart of capitalist politics and the fight for a socialist alternative.
1: As if the British capitalist establishment needed anything more to undermine our trust in it, along comes the Greensill scandal. A recent survey found 53% of us believe that government leaders are purposely trying to mislead them. And as we go to the May elections, the Tory party must have been desperately hoping that the vaccine rollout by the NHS might be changing its fortunes after all the hatred that it garnered for its catastrophic dealing with the pandemic. Dominic Cummings was just the start of the cronyism we saw, but now Greensill is really revealing the rotten heart of capitalist politics. And here to discuss that with us today and give us a Marxist analysis of what these events signify, is Hannah Sell, General Secretary of the Socialist Party. Hello, Hannah. Hi. So let's get into this rotten, murky story, if we must. Would you say, is the Greensill scandal just another episode in the MPs' expenses scandal and so on, just another illustration of the way those at the top see themselves as beyond the law and entitled to make personal gains from their
2: position or something more? I mean, look, it's nothing new. It's not a surprise to any socialist, but anyone with a memory, actually. If you think about Britain, we had cash for questions under John Major, the Tory Prime Minister. Then we had honours for business people under new Labour leader Tony Blair. And then we had the MP's expenses scandal, which pretty much everybody who was alive then Mm. remembers. So the stink of corruption wafting out of Westminster (laughs) is not a new thing. But actually, this even more clearly shows the rotten character of capitalist politics. There's an old saying, fish rots from the head first. And this time, it's not just backbenchers, it's not even just ministers, it's the last Tory Prime Minister, Cameron, who is centre stage, along with senior civil servants. And if you look what took place over a whole period, Lex Greensill seems to have relied entirely on cronyism (laughs) to build his company. I mean, it's incredible when you read about it. So he was brought in as an unpaid senior advisor to Cameron's government, specifically to the Prime Minister's office in 2011, and that was the same year as he set up Greensill Capital. He used his position in government to argue for large companies to adopt something called supply chain financing, and a number of NHS trusts under the pushing of the government adopted that, Mm. and his company then went on to provide it. So at a time when we were all suffering terrible misery, vicious austerity from the Tory government, the worst austerity since the 1930s, and the reason we were suffering it was because of an economic capitalist crisis that had been triggered by a financial crisis, by the gambling on the stock markets of the banksters and the rest of them. This bankster is in Downing Street and is setting up a new form of speculation, because that's what it is, backed and driven by the government and out of that he became a billionaire i mean you know if you put it in a film it might seem a little bit far-fetched and then of course cameron got his personal payback when the minute the two years were up from him resigning as prime minister that meant the regulators couldn't legally intervene he then becomes an official advisor paid large sums for Greensill Capital and, of course, starts lobbying for it with the current Tory government, as I'll go on to talk about. And the collapse of Greensill Capital has put the jobs of thousands of workers at risk, not least the Liberty Steel workers. Mm. But Greensill himself is okay. I mean, I don't think he's a billionaire anymore. No. Yeah, well, shy. (laughs) eh? But a year before the company went out of business, while Cameron was still lobbying to get money for it from this Tory government, then Greensill cashed in 200 million dollars worth of shares so you know he's still got a tidy (laughs) package that means he remains in the super rich club Mm. so yeah it's a continuation of the same process but actually it's worse Mm. both in terms of the blatant cronyism but also how high up it has been revealed to be
1: Mm.
2: absolutely so you've talked there about the politicians involved but the
1: civil service there's an attempt at the moment isn't there to present it as independent neutral And this is just a little aberration from that. What would you say about that? Do these events tell us anything about the
2: civil service? Definitely. And actually, from the point of view of the capitalist elite, this is very damaging. Mm. Because they try and keep the idea that the civil service is completely neutral, acting in the interests of society. And the senior civil servants advising governments are just trying to stop them doing anything a bit silly. They're very good, sensible people. (laughs) I mean, of course, it's never been true. Senior civil servants are part of the apparatus of the capitalist state, and ultimately, they've always acted to defend the interests of capitalism, to try and prevent left governments implementing radical policies and so on. But this has also made clear that at the same time as defending the general interests of capitalism, they've been shoving their own noses in the trough and making plenty of capitalist cash for themselves. So the fact that, I'm not sure how you pronounce his name, but Bill Crothers, or Crothers, anyway, him, he was the government's chief procurement officer. So he was responsible for billions of pounds of taxpayers' money as a senior civil servant. And yet, at the same time as supposedly being this neutral civil servant, he was also an advisor to Greensill. I mean, it's just incredible. And of course, he then later became one of the company's directors. But that's dangerous for the capitalist class because this isn't just undermining some politicians, it's undermining the structure of the capitalist state itself and showing that it's wrong, that it is corrupt, that it is after making a quick buck for individual civil servants as well as defending the capitalist profit system as a whole. So, you know, it's quite a dangerous situation for big business. And as
1: well as that, do you think that the Johnson government is going to be damaged by this? Because after all, we're talking about Cameron, you know, Johnson almost stood against the Cameron governments and so on when he stood in 2019. Do you think he's going to be caught up in this? (laughs) He's
2: in it, up to his eyes. I mean, look, it's very worrying for the current Tory government because they were elected, they won the general election by almost standing against their own party. Mm -hmm. And Johnson's got all this ludicrous rhetoric about how he's standing up for the little people, against the elites, etc., etc. And this is an illusion that is already looking pretty thin. But this scandal has the potential to wreck the last shreds of it. And the kind of warnings to Johnson in the capitalist press that he could lose the red wall seats, the previous Labour seats that he won. So a section of working class people, a small section actually, but a section who switched and voted Tory, that could be lost as a result of the current situation because they are in it up to their eyes. And not only the Greensill scandal. So at the same time as that's coming out, you've got the fact that the health minister, (laughs) Matt Hancock, his sister's company, in which he has shares has won a whole series of NHS contracts, including one for £300,000 just this year in 2021. So, I mean, you know, Mm. that's corrupt enough. But there's also their involvement in the whole Greensill issue. Mm. Hancock himself met Greensill to discuss the company having access to NHS contracts. Rishi Sunak, the Chancellor, we know was lobbied by David Cameron, to allow the company to access the kind of largest possible government-backed COVID loans. And that wasn't granted. But something else was granted. Greensill was allowed access to a scheme that meant it could offer loans, making money out of that. But those loans were backed by the government, up to £50 million. And this was not because Greensill was a very good financially viable company clearly yeah we we know what happened just weeks literally later Mm. so yeah they're in it up to their eyes and then there's also how johnson has responded to this growing tide Mm. of filth because he has not set up a democratic open inquiry that's actually designed to find out wrongdoing and Mm. deal with it it's a blatant cynical cover-up it's a private inquiry, whatever the hell that is. Mm-hmm. And the bloke who's running it, a man called Nigel Boardman, who is himself a billionaire. Good um, Yeah. He's on the board yeah. of a private bank, which is chaired and majority owned by one of the Tory party's biggest donors. I mean, you know, what kind of blatant, cosy little cover-up is that? And, of course, there's the picture going round of the Bullingdon Club, the Oxford Drinking Club, with Johnson and Cameron both in the same photograph. And on one level, you could say, even though they've always been rivals, apparently, that this is one member of the Eton-Oxford-Bullingdon club looking after another. But of course, it's about much more than Mm. that. This is not about individuals. And who knows? It's quite possible Johnson doesn't want to cover up for Cameron at all. What he wants to cover up for is the inherently corrupt character of the Tory party. But broader than that, of British parliamentary democracy Mm. and this supposedly neutral civil service. Now, that also relates then to other political parties, because they're not untainted by this. Mm. And the Labour Party, at the moment, is languishing in the polls, Mm. because not because Johnson's popular, Mm -mm. not because of the vaccine. I mean, of course, people generally are pleased to get their vaccine. But... They're languishing in the polls because of the complete lack of an opposition from Starmer, who is a big-business politician. Labour has been reclaimed for big business under Keir Starmer. Mm. It's possible that Starmer will now go up in the polls. That won't be because of what a good job he's doing, but because of what's been revealed Mm. about the Tory party, leading to greater anger against them and people looking for some means to express that. But we should be clear... Blairite pro-business Labour is not free of this kind of Mm. muck right now they've not been in government for years so there probably are less big business lobbyists because you know they haven't got as much power Mm. but Lord Faulkner the Mm. shadow attorney general Labour politician works for a legal company providing advice to global companies particularly US companies about how to do political lobbying in the UK. That's what Greensill were doing. That is political lobbying. And they may well say it didn't even break any of the lobbying rules. Mm -hmm. But Faulkner's company is advising people about how to bend and get round those rules to get influence, i.e. profits for big business. And you've only got to look back at New Labour's record in power, which is miserable Mm -hmm. on these issues. Not least, Peter Mandelson. (laughs) And, you know, he's uh, Blair's prince of darkness and is now back as Starmer's adviser... He first had to resign from a Labour government under new Labour because he took an interest-free loan to buy a house for nearly 400 grand from a man who his own department was in charge of investigating. And it was so rotten that no matter much Tony Blair loved him, he had to get him to stand down. But that wasn't the end of him in politics. He came back again and again mm. and was endlessly associated with dodginess, mm. you know. Russian oligarchs, yachts, holidays, all kinds of other murky favours that he was getting from big business politicians. When Peter Mandelson famously said that New Labour was intensely relaxed about people getting filthy rich, he was including himself. <laughs> yes, starting there. <laughs> yeah. And contrast his money grubbing approach to that of Jeremy Corbyn, hmm. the man whom Mandelson is determined to obliterate from history. Jeremy Corbyn consistently had the lowest expenses claims of any MP year after year after year. From the time of the leadership contest, you can remember the pictures of him half asleep on the night bus after he'd been to debates around the country. So determined was he not to claim an extra penny from his constituents. So Labour are not clear of all of this. Mm. But I think the other point that's important to make is that Starmer's big business, New Labour, will never act in the way that a workers' party would to expose the underlying cause of this cesspool of corruption at Westminster. And that's not just because they've been and will be involved. It's because they aim to defend the capitalist system rather than putting a socialist alternative. And that means, in the end, it's not in their interests to explain the underlying reasons for this. On the contrary, they act to prop up big business. I think it is worth just pointing out the gulf between that cosy little stitch-up private investigation into what Cameron's done and what's taken place in Liverpool. Absolutely. Because there you have accusations of corruption against the ex-mayor of Liverpool, Joe Anderson, a Labour mayor, not a left Labour mayor. He implemented Tory austerity throughout his time in power. But under the cover of those accusations against him, The Tory Secretary of State for local government, Jenrick, who himself was accused of unlawfully agreeing a luxury housing development to a big Tory donor just a year ago. But he's used those claims of corruption to go into Liverpool to send in Tory appointed unelected commissioners to a city that has not elected a Tory council in half a century. And to slash democracy in Liverpool Mm -hmm. so that there's going to be a cut by two-thirds of the number of elected councillors in Liverpool from Mm. 2023 onwards. And doing that is not punishing Joe Anderson. It's punishing the working class of Liverpool who have a proud history, not least under our leadership as the militant in the 1980s, of taking on and fighting back Mm. against the Tories. Now, what's all that got to do with the national Labour leadership? They supported all of that. Mm. They supported that inquiry, and at the same time, themselves undemocratically ruled out the candidate that Corbyn was supporting to be the mayor of Liverpool in the selection contest within Labour. So, any real Workers Party would be savaging what's been done regarding Greensill and contrasting it with what's been done to local democracy in Liverpool. But how can New Labour do that? Because they support exactly. what's taking place in Liverpool. That's why an important part of a socialist response to this chaos has to be to start to raise, to drive home the urgent need for the working class to have its own political voice, to fight for the development of a mass workers' party, and also to do what we can to begin to develop such a political voice, which is why, of course, the Socialist Party is standing as part of the trade unionist and socialist coalition in the elections that are taking place on the 6th of May, including for the position of Mayor of Liverpool, where Roger Bannister's standing.
1: 100%. And do you think there's other things, other than that the building of a New Mass Workers' Party, that the workers' movement should be putting forward in response to this disgusting, disgraceful scandal, as you've described it?
2: Yeah, absolutely, because we have to use this to point out the extreme limitations, the truncated and corrupt form of democracy yeah. that we currently have. From its very beginning, the workers' movement has been the hardest fighters for democratic measures and to defend those democratic measures that exist. Mm. So it was our forebears who fought heroically for the right to vote, for trade union rights, for electoral systems that could actually reflect the will of the people, if you like. Mm. And the current scandals show how far we are from that ideal. So we do have to fight on key democratic issues. And they include at the moment for the repeal of the Tory anti-trade union legislation, which is extremely Mm anti-democratic, against the police and crime bill, which is trying to further limit the right to protest, Mm -hmm. but also raising how the current corrupt democracy we have Mm -hmm. can be dramatically improved. So just to give you a bit of information, in 2015, the last year for which I could find figures There were only 19 MPs in the whole of Parliament who had a history of doing manual work. I mean, what does that tell you about the makeup of Parliament? MPs' basic salary is £81,000 a year, never mind the expenses. That puts them in the top 5% of earners. They've got no idea, they're planning to cut Universal Credit by £20 a week in September. They have no idea what it's like to live on universal credit, or to be a low-paid worker, or to be poor in any way whatsoever. And they're unaccountable. They're normally only elected once every five years. And then once they get there, they can do whatever they like, pretty much. Mm. So what can we do about that? When workers' representatives first started getting elected to Parliament, the first Labour MP, for example, Keir Hardy, he was not paid. And neither were any MPs. And you might think, oh, let's go back to that. Mm. However, the reason it was like that is because the MPs were all from the elites. Mm. So they all had large private incomes and investment, but they still have. They hardly yeah. need the 81,000, but they all had that. So actually, the workers' movement fought for MPs to be paid, but mm. it should be a workers' wage. When we in the Socialist Party, then militant as part of the left of the Labour Party, We had supporters who were MPs in the 1980s. Dave Nellist, who is now one of the leaders of TUS, the Trade Unionist and Socialist Coalition, but also Terry Fields and Pat Wall, who are unfortunately no longer alive. But they all only took the average worker's wage. Why shouldn't every Mm. MP only take the average worker's wage? Why shouldn't they be banned from having any directorships, any major shareholdings? They earn enough. They don't need shares as well. They shouldn't be holding advisory positions for private companies. None of that should be allowed. But also we should fight for a massive extension of democracy. So the Chartists, the first independent workers' party in history, they demanded annual elections to Parliament. I think today we should at least say biannual that there's a general election, that everybody faces re-election. But actually more important than that Mm. is there should be a genuine and real right of recall so that if constituents don't like what their MP has done, they're able to call an election and demand that they are held to account and face being recalled. Of course, the unelected House of Lords should be abolished. We should have a single assembly with legislative and executive powers instead of them being divided as they currently are in Britain. We should have the right to vote at 16. A form of proportional representation would also be a more democratic system Mm -hmm. than the the first-past-the-post system that we have in Britain today. So the fight for those kind of democratic improvements are part and parcel of the struggle for socialism and a very important part of what a mass workers party should be fighting for. But we have to say, you know, capitalism is a system that's based on production for profit, the profits of a few, rather than the social needs of the majority. And the inevitable result of that is the cronyism and corruption that we're seeing. Mm -hmm. And so those democratic demands are very important, but they have to be linked to taking the major corporations and banks that dominate the economy, that take decisions that affect all of our lives with no democratic accountability, Mm -hmm. to take them into public ownership so you could develop a socialist plan of production, and that to be under the control and scrutiny of the working class, not the Sir Humphreys, Mm -hmm. and that would allow the building of a genuinely democratic society free from all the muck and profiteering of capitalism. This all comes at a particularly dangerous point for Johnson, but also for capitalism, Mm -hmm. because we've had the pandemic. We've Mm -hmm. still got the pandemic, but the pandemic and all its consequences. So working-class people have suffered a terrible health crisis. And they have also been through the deepest recession in 300 years. And they're suffering while the billionaires have increased their wealth by a third. Mm. On top of that, to have these revelations about the character of the capitalist politicians in Parliament, that is going to really drive home the fact that we live in a society that is run for the interests of the 1%, not the 99%. And the need for a socialist alternative, an end to this rotten capitalist system, can be popularised, actually, as a result of these events. So it's a dangerous situation for the capitalist class, but also a big opportunity for the socialist movement.
1: Absolutely. But I think everything that you've described is absolutely true, obviously, but I do think that there will be some workers and young people who look at this scandal and the stink coming out of Parliament and wonder... You know, if if we want to change society, is it even worth engaging with Parliament, with politics and so on? Isn't it best just to ignore that and get on with the struggle in the workplaces and the trade unions and the campuses and the communities
2: and so on? Can we just ignore this? Yeah, and look, there will definitely be a low turnout in the local elections taking place in May. And that will partly because people don't know about them and they're thinking about other things, but it will also because people will be angry. Yeah. I'm not voting for any of them. Yeah. They're all the same. And we completely understand that because you look at Parliament at the moment and it is completely dominated by pro capitalist politicians who are not standing up for working class people. You can't blame anyone for thinking, let's just ignore that and get on with building. And we would add to that, it would be a complete mistake to think that the way we're going to defend workers' interests is just by standing in elections Mm. and just by fighting in Parliament and the council chambers. On the contrary, it is vital that we build to defend workers' interests in our workplaces by building the trade union movement, fighting for effective strike action in our communities. And we can win victories with very little or no support in Parliament. Historically, our party was in the leadership of the mass movement against the poll tax, for example, where 18 million people refused to pay the poll tax and we got rid of Maggie Thatcher. Now, there were some MPs who supported it, but it was a handful Mm of Labour-left MPs, and yet we were able to win because we mobilised a powerful movement. Mm. We'd add to that, you are never going to be able to carry out the socialist transformation of society just by getting MPs elected. Because even if you had a majority and we got a socialist government elected, the boardrooms and big business would not say, oh, you've passed a bill! (laughs) Okay, we agree to be nationalised and to give up all our wealth and power. Here you are, have it. You know, you have to mobilise a mass popular movement of the working class in particular, who are the people who keep their factories running, who keep society running, in order to be able to implement a socialist transformation of society. But none of that means that the electoral plane, that fighting in parliament, in the council chamber, don't matter. The workers' movement needs to fight in all fields. Mm. And when we have representatives in Parliament or the Council Chamber who are standing in our interests, it gives our struggles more power. And that's why we fight for the workers' movement, to establish a political voice, a mass workers' party. It's why we take part in Tusk, which is taking first initial steps in that direction. Because we're fighting to build a powerful force which puts extra pressure on the Tories, on the pro-capitalist politicians of every stripe. And even now, you know, Tusk, these are local elections, and we're definitely not standing enough candidates to be having the election of majority socialist councils up and down the country. That's not what's going to happen out of these elections. But our challenge, modest as it is, will increase the pressure... On the capitalist politicians. Mm. And I want to give an historical example to show that. Mm. If you look back to the history of the Labour Party, when it was first founded by the workers' movement, trying to get its own political expression, then really you could say, in a sense, its first victory, this is prior to the Labour Party being formally founded, this was the LRC, but its first big victory came from the 1906 general election. The LRC got 4.5% of the vote. They did not storm to power. But As a result of their vote, the incoming liberal capitalist government repealed the vicious anti-trade union laws, the Taft Vale judgment, that existed at that point in time. Why? Because they felt the hot breath of the working class on their necks. They felt the Labour movement coming because it was fighting on the electoral plane. So if we say, let's not bother about that, let's just leave Parliament and the Council Chamber, to big business, to corruption, to the corporate lobbyists, then we're fighting with one hand tied behind our backs. So it's not the only field of struggle, but it is an important one and we have to fight to develop that, to make them feel the pressure there at the same time as we build the workers and the socialist movement in our communities and workplaces.
1: Great stuff. Thank you very much, Hannah. No problem.
0: Socialism is produced by the Socialist Party, the England and Wales section of the Committee for a Workers International. Today, we heard from Hannah Sell, speaking to Sarah Sachs eldridge and Isaac Priya. This episode was edited by Nick Hart. You can find further reading in the notes in the podcast app. If you want to get in touch, email socialismpodcast at socialistparty.org.uk. Socialism, the podcast, relies on funding from our members and supporters. We have no big business backers or adverts which allows us to maintain our political independence. Can you help fund this podcast? Can you make a regular donation or a one-off payment at socialistparty.org.uk forward slash donate? And even more importantly, do you agree with the ideas of the Socialist Party as we have raised here today? Get in touch and find out about becoming a member. Apply to join at socialistparty.org.uk forward slash join. If you live outside England and Wales and want to join the fight for socialism in your country, contact the Committee for a Workers International by visiting socialistworld.net. Till next time, solidarity.